Hi, everybody. God's blessings on each and every one of you this day. When the day of Pentecost had come, the disciples all gathered in one place. Then, suddenly, from heaven, there came a sound like a rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Now, scholars believe this act of God, as recorded in Acts chapter 2, was at this very site that you see up on the screen. It's the eastern wall of the Jerusalem temple, also in translation called the house. I read on. Divided tongues, as of fire, appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each one of them. And all of them were suddenly filled with the Holy Spirit. And on that day... 3,000 souls were saved. Today, again, is Pentecost Sunday. It is the birth of the church. It is the catalyst moment where the Holy Spirit says, I send you out to be what God created you to be. Today is the day where the Holy Spirit lights all the birthday candles and then blows us, the church, up and into the community. That's our mission. The birth of the church to be the mission of God. Because as believers, we have our Christmas, we have Good Friday, we have Easter, and we have Pentecost, serving as the four pillars that hold up the mission roof of the church. Now, the Holy Spirit is more than just something we're to talk about. You know, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yeah. No, instead, we are to believe for Him receive him, want him, and his power. What makes us Christians, friends, is the power of the Holy Spirit. Just like last Sunday, I hope you remember when Pastor John gave out those gift cards to Chick-fil-A, all nicely wrapped in an envelope. Here's a gift, he said, a gift for you. But you can't open it up. See, that's just being silly because we all know that when God gives gifts, he says, I want you to open it up. So today is a birthday gift church happy birthday and God is saying I want you to open it up do not be afraid of the Holy Spirit it is your advocate it is your counselor it is your power to be in the mission of what life is all about because the Bible is very clear about this mission God our God has a heart for lost people a heart for lost places and a heart for lost things it is his mission to redeem all things back to him again. Here's what the Bible says in 1 Timothy 2 and 3. It says, God desires, desires everyone, he's talking about people now, to be saved. Saved from what? Saved from being stuck in the mud of our sin and death. And then to come, to rise up out of that mud and come to the knowledge of his truth. That is Jesus. What was the purpose of Jesus dying at that cross? And God's chosen vessel to drive this mission is us, his church, king of kings in every church on planet earth. God desires that we, the church, be a part of his search and rescue mission. We get to be a part of what God is doing. Hey, anyone says church is boring isn't getting that this is a search and rescue mission. That's why Jesus says in Luke chapter 19 that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. That's the translation. That. So it's more than just people. It is also places and things. Schools, government, our nation. Jesus then goes on to say, now, I'm giving you my Holy Spirit 
so you can follow me. And then together, we are going to transform the world around us just by doing everyday marketplace things, finding lost. Here's the good news, my friends. Jesus will meet all people where they are at in life. And you might say, well, you know, I know somebody, or even at times I'm really low down, and I don't see how God can possibly ever find me. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, because that's his heart. How about if we look at our, our, the backstory of our gospel lesson today? If we were to go back a little bit further, it is a story of a prodigal son who is stuck in the mud of his sin, eating with pigs. And in the culture of the Jewish people, eating with pigs is as low as you get, friends. But here's the good news again. Jesus will not leave people stuck in the mud. Now, there are people, and I've heard them say, I've even heard a couple of people at our church say this. Now, they think Jesus would say, ah, oh, it's okay, stuck in, your, stuck in your sin, without biblical ideologies that drive you far away from the word of God, that keep you from knowing the real truth. It's okay, I'll just love you anyway. Ah, that's only half correct, my friends. Jesus will meet you in the mud, stuck there in your sin, but he loves you. That's why he's going to meet you there. That's the cross. There's the beauty of Good Friday. Jesus says, I'm going to meet you in the bowels of your sin, but to raise you up. Rise up, he says. Here's the Easter resurrection. Walk out of that tomb. Follow me. Because if you didn't already know, ministry is really messy. We people, we are a wreck. But the purpose of the body of Christ is to love other people back into the sheepfold. That's the purpose of the church. That's why we're being born today. Because if your favorite dish is barbecue lamb, God won't let you tend to his sheep. God's vision is to bless, not to beat or eat, his sheep. Some churches are really good at beating people up. Not us. But yet, we're all guilty of this. We're kind of walking. I do, I do this all the time too. I go, I can't believe he would say such a thing. I can't believe she would believe such a thing. We're shocked and even appalled by the fact that sometimes lost people say and do things that we don't understand as Christians. And the answer to that is, they don't. They don't understand. Lost people are simply acting like lost people. They have no foundation. They have no biblical foundation. They have no biblical values. They don't know who God is. They don't know the purpose of Jesus. They don't have the Holy Spirit in their lives. When the earth shakes and quakes, they always crumble. 2 Corinthians 4 and 4 says it like this. Paul, now who's speaking to the people of Corinth because of their moral decay, he says, in their case... The small g God, the things that we worship in this world other than the God of Jesus Christ, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. Why? To keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. See, that's in part the devil's job. He says, I don't want you to know the good news of Jesus. I don't want you to know the life of freedom in Jesus. I want you to think that this is as good as it gets. Sure, everybody is a sinner. Sure, you can't trust everybody. No, we don't know what's a foundation. But that's okay. Chaos is good, says the devil. And he wants to keep you in the dark so you don't know that Jesus has come to set you free. The blind unbelievers many times 
don't even know they're lost. They just think, well, being stuck in the mud is the way things ought to be. My friends are doing it. Everybody's talking about it. Must be okay. So for this to be changed, who's going to have to change? The unbelievers don't see the need for change. So who needs the change? The church. And by that I mean this. To move from a membership mentality to a missional mentality. Membership is driven by what's in it for me. I join a church because I get this and I get this and I like this and I like that. While a missional church is driven by what's God calling and creating and, and allowing me to become because I'm a part of this church. What's God doing in my life and what do I get to participate in his mission in the world? That's a missional church. Because if mission defines who Christ is, and he says, I've come to seek and to save the lost. And if Christ sends us as he was sent, he says, go now and make disciples. Proclaim salvation to, to the lost. Then mission defines who we are. A church on mission. Here's what I mean by that. At a Florida conference several years ago, I heard the stage speakers say something like, like this. Uh, he said, the trouble with our culture today is not enough people on the outside of the church want to join everybody else on the inside of the church. And I thought to myself, well, okay, that's true, but hmm, I wonder why. Oh, I know why. The outsiders aren't intrigued enough by what we insiders are living like on the outside. The outsiders are not seeing insiders living on the outside with forgiveness or speaking out Jesus or being willing to say, you know what, I, I believe something else because of what God has done for me. They're not seeing us praying for other people. They're not seeing us forgiving other people. They're not seeing us worshiping at work. You know what I mean by that, don't you? Worshiping, serving others just out of sheer love for somebody else. If the outsiders aren't going to see the insiders living differently on the outside, why would the outsiders say, I want to join on the inside? Why would I want to spend my Sunday morning, a beautiful Sunday morning, on the inside when the insiders here aren't looking like they're any different than me? Hmm. Maybe, just maybe, if we insiders actually receive what today's about, this is a huge day of receiving the Holy Spirit, of reigniting why we exist as individual believers and as a church. It's about calling on the Pentecost spirit to say, you know what, I am going to take what I receive on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night or in one of our Bible studies or even as an individual opening up the Word of God and I'm going to live like I believe that is true on the outside. Today, friends, we continue our mission of rediscovering Luke and its power with the Luke 15 parable known as the prodigal son. But before we dive into that scripture of a father's victory for his lost son, allow me to take you back to 1972. It was a cold fall Saturday. I was about 10 years old. My little brother John was five. Yes, I had a little brother John. Not Pastor John, but I had my own little brother John. And our father told us not to go down by the river and play. It was dangerous. So what do you suppose we did? 
Yeah, boys will be boys, or in this case, knuckleheads will be knuckleheads. We disobeyed our father, we rebelled against our father, and we went down by the river. In the meantime, our dad went up and over this hill to cut down some dead trees with his, with his teacher buddies to collect firewood for the winter. So here John and I are, goofing off. Pastor John and I never goof off. This is my other little brother, John. Right? And we're goofing off down by the river, and I accidentally dropped my glove into the waters. And I go, oh no, this is bad. I'm going to lose my glove. I'm going to get in trouble for losing my glove. So I raced down the shoreline to try to retrieve it. At the same time I'm doing that, my little brother John takes a step into the water to try to grab the glove. Kashoosh! You know the sound of that water, a big splashing. And I heard that and I knew in a second, a millisecond, that I had done messed up. That this was a bad thing. This was more than just disobedience. This was destruction because of disobedience. I knew that I could not fix the problem on my own, so I immediately screamed out to the one that I knew would hear me and bring a rescue mission. Dad! In much the same way, most lost people don't know they are lost until they find themselves perhaps in a pickle like I was in, unable to save themselves, unable to control the situation, feeling like, man, I am at the end of my rope. Perhaps they don't listen to Father God. They're disobedient. They got a rebellious spirit. Maybe, maybe they don't even know they have a Father God. That's possible. In today's scriptural parable, the father blesses his two sons. The one stays put. He's like the membership guy. I'm going to stay put here. I'm not, I'm not leaving you, God or dad. <laughs> and the other one says, I'm leaving you, dad. I'm leaving you, God. I don't need you. I've got life by the horns. I'm going to grab my inheritance and I'm out of here. He thinks he has found life by being independent from the father. But he has really lost his life. And he's not even aware. He thinks he, that he's winning by being away from his father. But he is really losing and unaware. See, there's the deal. Lost people generally don't know they are lost. But sometimes they do eventually come to some kind of realization that, ah, something just is not right. Have you met someone like that ever? They say, I had this going for me or I was doing that. And I don't know, it seemed like it was pretty good, but there was something missing. And of course, that missing is a relationship with Jesus. But they didn't know it. In the parable, the prodigal son discovers that he's gotten himself into deep water, a river water. He can't get out. He has blown his inheritance. He has nothing on his own. And he is now literally in the mud, the lowest place possible with the pigs. And that's when the Bible says he comes to his senses. I call that the Holy Spirit. And he knows something is not right. In his lostness, the prodigal discovers that he needs to be found. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. That's why he's such a gift. The Holy Spirit says, here I am. I am your real comforter. I am your real guide. I'm the one who will take you to places that you don't think that you deserve or even exist. I've come to save you. I've come to bring you back to the source of your life, the Father himself. So the son heads back to dad, figuring it won't be pretty, but it's better than hanging with the pigs. 
Meanwhile, the Father, and I know you all know this, the Father is Father God, right? He sees a sinner coming from a long ways away, even before the sinner knows that God even bothers to look. Because before the lost even know they need help, God is preparing his church to be ready to welcome them back. In the parable, the lost son is not sure if the father will even receive him back. Maybe he doesn't know the father's heart. That's my guess. He's lived with that dad all these years, and he still doesn't know his dad. And I can't help but wonder how often do people worship in a church their whole life, and yet they don't know the father's heart for them because they, they don't actually get into the word of God. They come to church, but they don't get into the word of God. They're not in a study or an accountability group with some other people. They haven't learned to pray or worship. I mean, worship. Confess sin. They don't necessarily know the heart of the Father. Many in our culture don't even know there is such a thing as the gospel. They don't know there is such good news because as far as they're concerned, being in the mud is all I know. Or maybe they know it's wrong, but they kind of like it a lot. And they're trying to justify their cultural compromise, their ideologies that are far from what God has for them. In fact, according to the ministry consultants from Church Doctors, I've affiliated myself with them for many years, 52% of Americans have no faith affiliation whatsoever. That's not talking about the Christians or the Muslims, folks that, that worship. We're talking about people, 52% of Americans, aren't anything at all, zero. And if you're not being discipled by Jesus Christ, you are being discipled by the culture, are you not? If you're not worshiping the, a God, our God of Jesus, you are worshiping another small G-God. Therefore, King of Kings, it is our blessing on this birthday of ours today to love others as God has first loved us in Christ Jesus. And that is why we are called to be on the high alert for the welcome back party. Because in the parable, the son is scared to go home. He's embarrassed. He's afraid he'll get chewed out. I can't help but wonder, are there other people from the past of King of Kings who, because of COVID, stayed away and then they just got stuck in the mud and they're afraid to come back because maybe someone will say something like, well, where have you been? Huh? Where have you been? I've been here the whole time. Where have you been? Kind of like the two sons. I'm not sure if I'd want to come back either. But you see, God is demonstrating something different for us, isn't he? He's running to the sun. He's running to the sun. The slow anger of God is followed by his swift movements of salvation and reconciliation. In the parable, the father hugs the son, not chokes him, hugs him, kisses him over and over and over again. Now, these are no Judas kisses, a betrayal upon Jesus. Now, in this context, much kissing means much forgiveness. And now let's party, celebrate, rejoice. And why? It is the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God so that the lost can be found. And the whole world, this lost world we live in, can come to know that's that's the God that we want to pay attention to. That's the Holy Spirit that we need. That's the lifestyle that we really long for. We just don't know it. And even sometimes, you and I, the insiders, if you will, we don't even know that we're lost. 
at any given moment, maybe we're straying off the path. We're that, that sheep. Where's, where's Ed? He's going off. Where's, that's me sometimes. And yet the Father says, I give you my Pentecostal spirit to bring you back. Save you. So from the shoreline of the river, I'm screaming out, Dad! And my dad, who is now 88 years old, he can't hear a thing. He can barely walk. But back in the day, he did hear my cry over the screams of the, of the saws. And he comes running over the hill like a deer, jumps into the water, grabs my brother John, takes him up and out, and my brother is saved by the father. The father, our father, is saved from losing a son. I was saved from the entrapment of a guilt of saying, you know what, I was the one who was disobedient, rebelled, and got us into this position. And to this day, I still remember saying, I am so sorry, Dad. I am so sorry. I was, I was repenting. I knew. I knew that's what happens when you have a foundation. I had a foundation of faith. And I knew I had done messed up. And I knew that I could ask God, Dad, for forgiveness. Now yet, do you suppose my dad was really angry at me? Do you suppose he was? Yes. <laughs> he was angry. Because sin and his disobedience must be judged out. God doesn't say, there, there, it's okay. You can go be disobedient again. No. He will meet us in the mud, or in this case, the waters, and then say, I'm calling you out of that situation. But do you also suppose my dad was really grateful that both his sons were alive and well? And the answer to that is yes, even more so, because that's the heart of Father God. Bible says in Luke 15, 7, Jesus says, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents, over one person who says, I'm going in the wrong direction. I got to get back to my creator. I got to get back to my foundation. I got to get back to life, real life. Then over 99 righteous who need no repentance. Jesus promises to meet us in the mud but he also loves us too much to let us stay lost. In gospel love, in gospel love, Jesus says to you and I on this Pentecost Sunday, rise up. And by the way, I mean that in the most literal of ways. Jesus says, rise up. Let's get to our feet, shall we? Rise up, church. And then get ready to walk out of this worship service today, following Jesus with a renewed mind of, I have the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I have all that I need. And now, friends, on your feet, would you please open up with a posture of receiving. Open up your hands, and especially your hearts. And now ask the Holy Spirit to grab your life purpose. Grab your purpose of life. Maybe it's for the first time ever. God, give me a purpose by your Holy Spirit. Band, would you please come up at this time? And everybody else, let's make a declaration together. Nice and loud. Let's, let's rattle the roof, shall we? Let's have the devil say, dang, I'm staying away from that king of kings. They're going to be causing me problems. Good, I say. So here we go. Repeat after me. Father God, I confess. My absolute desire for you. And my desperate need for Savior Jesus. Bring your Holy Spirit 
upon me and our church. We receive him now. So we can now fully participate in your mission of finding lost. Amen? Amen. Hey, Francis, applaud. What is God doing in our midst? But breathing us new life and telling us we are saved. You may be seated. Your homework now. Yeah, I know you might get the day off from work tomorrow, but no day off from homework, especially when it's about getting into the Word of God. Go back to chapter 15 of Luke. Read verses 1 through 7. It is a celebration of one lost sheep getting found. Then if you read on 8 through 10, you'll see the value of one lost coin. Here's the deal. At any given moment, you and I are that one lost sheep. And you and I are that one lost coin. And then both those, those great stories of God's grace lead to the full story of the parable of the prodigal son. As you read this, I want you to ask one major question and lean into it hard. What is my faith response to this amazing grace of God? What is my faith, what's my response of faith going to be because of being found again? So please review Luke chapter 15. It all works together for the message, the one message of finding lost. Making today the first of a three-part series that I'll be sharing on that very subject. Amen? Amen, church? Amen. Ushers, you may receive our offerings, giving us an opportunity to sow into God's kingdom. <laughs>